So I remember I was terrified. I was scared to death. I was literally shaking. Like my heart was like beating out of my chest. I could see the outline of my, my heart. Not really. But it felt like it. I was, so, I was that scared. And I was about to get an upgrade, a promotion, I guess, from, you know, a little boy to a man. That's what it felt like. It was, but it scared me. My dad was about to take me on my very first big boy roller coaster. No more going around in circles on a little choo-choo train that I was at that time. Still, I could still fit in it, you know. But, yeah, I wasn't always as muscular, plush as I am now. I used to be a tiny kid, actually. Um, so we went on there, and it has all these hills and drops and loop-de-loops, and then it goes backwards through all the same hills and drops and loop-de-loops, and it freaked me out. We get off, and I'm trying to muster up all the strength and, and bravery that I have, and he's, he's like, well, son, what'd you think? I was like, I lied. Oh, it's great. Yeah, so awesome, Dan. Yeah, but I, I, I don't really want to go on it again. And to my surprise, his reply was, good to hear. Let's go again. Like, for some reason, you know, God was working against me. There was no line at all. So we just kept going and going and going. And so I had to give myself a pep talk because I, I wanted to make my dad proud. I wanted him to know, hey, your son is brave. I'm not a scaredy cat. I can do this. And so I gave myself a pep talk. I'm like, you can do this. You love this roller coaster. No, you hate it. You hate No, no, no. You love this roller coaster. You own it. This is awesome. Eventually, in time, after much repetition, finally I enjoyed big boy roller coasters. Like I would go on the most craziest ones, except for any kind of crazy rides at carnivals in abandoned parking lots or abandoned fields. The Bible says, do not tempt the Lord your God. If you think you have faith and that God's going to protect you from some rickety ride out in the middle of a farm, you are wrong. That's just, that's just stupid. <laughs> so nowadays, I, uh, you know, I stay off of roller coasters, not because of a fear thing. I mean, yes, there's some life preservation there, but it's uh, more so because I've exceeded the limit. Well, maybe not here, but I've exceeded the limit, so I, I, I feel claustrophobic because I was on there. Have you ever been in a uh, similar situation where you had to give yourself a, a pep talk of sorts? Like you have an interview coming up, a job interview, and you know they're going to ask the question that every interviewer always asks, what are your greatest weaknesses? I hate that question. I even got asked it here. I don't remember what I said. I was like, I have none. So through Christ, my weakness is made into strength, so I'm good. <laughs> or, you, or you may have to like, Talk to yourself and speak to yourself to kind of like calm down in a situation. You're just like flustered and frustrated. And you're like, no, I can't run that person off the road because it's wrong. It's illegal, regardless of how bad they drive. So before we go any further, though, I, I want to clarify a difference between talking to yourself and speaking to yourself. So talking, if, if you and I were to be out in the, the lobby having a conversation, there would be a, a two-way conversation. We would be talking, right? Well, speaking to yourself is, is more of making a statement. It's, it's proclaiming, if you will, without any reply or retort. You're not looking for the second party to talk back. It's like a parent to uh, their, their child. 
you're making you're speaking to them. You're making it known, hey, this is how it is. I don't want no reply. I have issues with that right now. <laughs> I say something, she's like, well, mm, she's only six and she acts like she's 16. It's wonderful. <laughs> if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones or your tablets or whatever device you have, if you will open up the Bible app, we're going to be looking today, this morning, at the 42nd Psalm. And we're going to discuss what it means to speak to yourself, to speak to your soul, your heart, to your emotions, your thoughts, and how to go about doing that and what it looks like. So right now, at this moment, we are able to enter into God's presence freely, right? Jesus has bridged the gap between us and God. Jesus became sin so that in Him we may become the righteousness of God. Amen to that. So but back when the 42nd Psalm was written, though, it wasn't that way. We don't know exactly who the, the author or the psalmist of the 42nd Psalm is. I have a, a good idea that it was David because of the situation that he was in, but we don't know for sure. But what we do know, reading today, is that they had been physically separated from God's presence because at that time, God's presence would, would sit in a massive tent called the tabernacle. That was the house of God. And the psalmist loved to minister to God and to serve God with other people. He loved going to church, but he was separated from that. So looking at verse 2 in Psalm 42, it says this, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When we see that word appear, it doesn't mean that you just He's going to just going to stand in front of him and be like, hey, what's up, dude? How's it going? Nice weather. Like the new tie. No, he's not, he's not going to be like that, and I don't think God wears ties. But what would happen in these times is the servants would appear before the king, not to just stand there, but they would appear, meaning they would come to serve. And that's what it meant to appear before God. When shall I come and, and, and minister? When shall I come and serve before God. Did you know that, the, that greater than a desire for hunger is your desire or is your thirst, your desire for water to have a drink? When we're genuinely thirsty, our mind becomes so, so focused on getting a hold of water. And when the thirst gets so strong, you don't want anything else except for water. Not juice, not sodas, not alcohol. Not even Gatorade. Oh, it's the thirst quencher. It should be. No, not even Gatorade. Water is the only thing that will actually satisfy our physical thirst. But our souls, our spirits have a thirst as well. And so we try to satisfy that with other things, and then we leave more thirsty than we were before, like with, with Gatorade. If, if I'm thirsty and I drink Gatorade... I want more Gatorade, and I keep drinking, and I keep drinking, and I keep drinking, and I'm wanting more and more and more, but I'm never actually satisfied. And it's the same way with our lives. There's only one thing that can satisfy our thirst, and that's God. We have to drink from the well of life. We have to drink from what God provides of Himself, because that's the only way our thirst will be quenched. 
problem is, is our hearts, our souls, they need a little bit of guidance. Okay, they need a lot of guidance. They have to be aligned with our faith. Because nothing else in this world can satisfy our soul like God. The problem is, is it, it, our, our hearts, our thoughts, our emotions, yes, they feel real, but they will turn against us. They will betray us. In Star Wars, I think Darth Vader, he goes, your thoughts betray you. He goes, your thoughts will betray you. Well, there's only one source of life, only one thing that can give you satisfaction. Anything else is synthetic. It's not real. Look at verse 3, Psalm 42. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So two things could, could be happening here with his tears being his food day and night. One, his tears could be flowing so intense, intensely that it's soaking his food to where when he's eating his food, he's basically just eating his tears. Or that he's so much in turmoil and he's, he's dealing with such anxiety and depression that his appetite is just gone. And so his... His appetite is being satisfied by all of these negative emotions that he has going on inside of him. You want to hear a confession from your worship arts pastor? Y'all ready? <laughs> no. um, so I, before, have struggled with intense anxiety and overwhelming depression. I would wake up in the middle of the night with panic attacks couldn't breathe. I couldn't catch my breath. First time it happened, I thought it was just because I was in Denver and that I was out of shape. No, it wasn't. I was freaking out. I thought I was about to die for whatever reason. I woke up and I couldn't breathe. And I struggled so hard for a long time with anxiety. And I couldn't function. So I got to the point to where I had to put myself uh, you know, voluntarily put myself on some antidepressants. I wasn't to the point to where I was suicidal, but man, if my life ended, I wouldn't care. Now, at the time, I was at a church. I was serving as a worship pastor. What many of, uh, a lot of you don't know, but back in December of 2017, my wife and I, we lost our daughter, Bailey. She was stillborn. It was, it was the roughest thing we've ever had to go through. And I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And it's taken me almost three years now to where I'm in a really good place. Does it still hurt? Yeah, it does. If I allowed myself, would I tear up right now? Probably. But I've come to a place where there's been healing in my life. And I've allowed, allowed healing to take place. A lot of us, when we're dealing with anxiety and depression, we tend to hide it, which we'll get later on to and later on in this message. But I had to open myself up and allow myself to be healed and not carry that around with me, even though it took a long time to tell that. And so it was a struggle. I remember being in the hospital. We were in the hospital for about seven days. I never left. And 
I'm the kind of person that I, I don't cry. I don't. Despite what Pastor Brian may say, that I'm a big teddy bear. I'm, I am a massive grizzly bear. Just, I, I really don't cry. I, I don't. But the moment that we realized or that we found out that there was no heartbeat, I immediately broke down. And it's not like the movies with like a single little fake tear rolling down the cheek. I mean, this was like full-on howling, ugly crying. I couldn't, couldn't stop. I couldn't contain myself. I had no control anymore. And it was like so bad that dogs would start howling. It was that bad of crying. Like it, was, it was ugly. And I remember I had my, my parents go to my house and get my guitar, and, and they, they brought it to, to the hospital. And I just felt so pressed that I should, in this moment, as hard as it may be, to lead my wife and I in worship. Because it's not just something I do on Sundays. It's not just something I do on stage in, in front of everyone. And it's not just other people that I'm leading into worship. I'm also responsible for my personal life. I'm priest in my home over my wife, my kids. And so there in the hospital room, Tara laying in the bed, me in a chair right beside her, I just started singing. I didn't know what song to sing. I just made it up. Just spoke from this place of just brokenness. And it didn't sound good. <laughs> it did not sound good. It was, it was ugly, but it was pure. It was raw. And God's presence filled our room. And his peace descended upon us, and he helped with our grief. But after that week was up, and we went back home, it was really hard. And when, when I was at the hospital, I would, I would cry so much and so intensely that my nose would start bleeding. It was so intense. And I had to force myself to eat. I had no appetite. I had to force myself to eat. So my face would bleed because I was in so much turmoil. I was in so much anxiety. I was so broken. And so afterwards, as time began to move again, when we went home from the hospital, I didn't realize, but anxiety and depression had began to creep in and really take a grip on my life. One day on the way to work, I thought that God was going to strike me down with the biggest bolt of lightning anyone had ever seen. I thought I was going to instantaneously or suddenly just burst into flames because I was yelling at him. I mean, I was just letting him have it. I was like, why would you let this happen? You had the power to raise her from death to life. Why would you do this? But then I realized, no, the truth is God is love. God didn't kill her. It's not his fault. So I had to take my emotions and my thoughts that said, well, it's because of this that she died. It's because of this. Well, God did this. No, he didn't do that. And my sins were taken care of on the cross. It wasn't because of my sins that she died. So I had to take my emotions and my thoughts and I had to line them up with my faith, with what I know to be true about God's character. I had to speak to myself. I, I had to let myself know God is love. He cares for me. 
He gives me peace that passes all human logic, all human understanding. He does. And even in the darkest times, His peace is real. So we have to speak to our emotions. We have to speak to our feelings. When thoughts and emotions start to rise up that we know aren't right and we know that go against what God says or it goes against God's character, we have to speak. And what do we speak? We speak truth. We speak Scripture. For every venom, there's anti-venom. For every lie, there's truth. For every false word, there's Scripture. A lot of times what we think is, is logical, um, what will counter what God is speaking to us. And God doesn't operate off of what makes sense to the human mind. God is the God of the impossible. Life will completely frighten us. It will worry us to the core. But nothing catches God off guard. Anxiety, depression, broken heart, all these things. What we would consider negative emotions, if given enough power in our lives, if we allow it to take control, it will exaggerate the situations that are going on inside of us. And it will deceive us about what's going on for good. And here's something to think about. How did Jesus deal with his fear? How did Jesus deal with his emotions? How did Jesus deal with his anxiety? <gasps> Jesus didn't have anxiety. He was truthful. Yes, he was. He was fully God, but he was fully man. Do you not think that he had anxiety in the garden when he was praying to God? God, please, if there's any other way, take this away from me. It's too hard. But, nevertheless, if it's what you want, I'll do it. Because I love them too much not to. Thank God for that. But he was in such, said that he sweat drops of blood. Remember when I was telling you how I was in the hospital room crying so intensely that my nose would start bleeding? Now, I didn't sweat drops of blood because I have a lot more insulation than Jesus did. So, you know, there was definitely broken blood vessels, though. Like, my eyes were splotchy, but there was, you know, no leaking of blood. His body was in turmoil while he was praying in the garden. But how did, how did Jesus deal with his anxiety? He talked to his friends. He talked to his disciples, his spiritual support system. He talked to the Father. He cried out to God. And some of us, we need to speak to our feelings. We need to speak to our emotions. We need to tell it, get in line. Line up with the faith. Line up with my faith. Because this is what God says is true. Looking at verse 9, Psalm 42, it says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the So who, who's the enemy? We can assume that 
because of how the situation was to where he had to be separated from ministering in the house of God that, sure, there was probably enemies and he was in hiding, more likely in a cave. But in this situation, he's asking God, why have you forgotten? The enemy is his mind. His thoughts, his, his negative emotions that have him to where his tears are his food day and night. They're coming against him. In a moment of bliss, in a place where life is good, when we're happy and we're on the mountaintop, it's so easy to pray, it's so easy to praise God. It's so easy to acknowledge all of the good things of God while things are good. But how many of us have doubts? How many of us have a hard time praying? How many, have us, have, how many of us have a hard time pressing in to God's presence, whether it's corporately at church or personally in our own private time with God? When times are bad, when things are going really hard, it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of courage to press through all of that and to praise God. Leading Tara and I into worship in that room was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. I didn't want to worship. I didn't want to praise in that moment. Did I hate God in that moment? No. But it was physically hard for me to be exuberant and happy and to express love when I was so messed up and so broken. Looking at verse 10, he says this, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, or his, his enemies, they taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? This deadly wound in his bones is, is all the emotions that he's dealing with, all the anxiety, the depression, being away from where he once was, being out of the norm for him. And notice how the psalmist writes the posing questions. Where is your God? And he said it before, earlier in the chapter, and he's saying again, where is your God? In a time of crisis, in a time of stress, in a time of anxiety, when it's all overwhelming, our mind will betray us. And the enemy will lie to us saying that we're all alone and that God doesn't care. So here's the tipping point in the chapter. This is really awesome. He, he goes through this emotional monologue, right, for this entire chapter, but he shifts from outward complaining to inward proclaiming. You can tweet that if you have a Twitter account. That's pretty good. Thanks. No. But a lot of us, we need to go from outward complaining. We have to shift from outward complaining to inward proclaiming. And he says this in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? He poses the question, but he doesn't wait for a reply. He stops it right there and he says this. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. Hope in God. Sometimes we're so down and we're so beaten up by life that all we can say, hope in God. Hope in God. We have to speak to our soul. We have to speak to our emotions, to our feelings. And when thoughts and emotions start to rise, again, that we know go against what God says, that goes against God's character that we know isn't right, 
We speak truth. We speak scripture. When we start to feel like, well, God doesn't love me. No, for God so loved the world. For God so loved me that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't die but have eternal life. Whenever you feel like, well, I'm just all alone and nobody cares. Well, the truth is there are people around me. God has put the right people in my life and God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Whenever you start to worry about your finance because guess what? Uh Uh-oh, life happens. You're like, oh my gosh, there's more left of the month than there is of my bank account. You tell yourself, though, in that situation, though, if you know, if you didn't make any stupid financial decisions like gambling or throwing your money away, you say, no, God is my provider. He will meet all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Whenever you feel like, well, I just can't go on. I quit. I can't do this anymore. You tell your feelings, no, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm not a victim. I'm an overcomer because of what Jesus has done and because he has been victorious and he calls me his own. And here's the truth when it comes to our emotions. Here's the truth when it comes to our thoughts and our feelings. Although I feel something, it may not be true. So my daughter, who I said was six going on 16, so throughout the day, she'll be like, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm hungry. I want a snack. I want a snack. I'm like, you've already had like three snacks. No. And it's like 30 minutes after she ate lunch. I'm like, how are you still hungry? Oh, my gosh. And she's not like me. Like, for some reason, she doesn't, she has a great, you know, metabolism. She has more muscle definition than I do, and it's, it's sick. Makes me jealous. <laughs> she's got like this gymnast body. But, uh, and she'll ask for the weirdest stuff. Like, I want, I want goldfish with, with uh, fruit roll-ups on top of it. I'm like, ew, what is wrong with you, child? No, you don't need to eat. And I told her, like, you just feel like you're hungry. You just think you're hungry because you're bored. You're not really hungry. It's the same way. Like, even though we feel something, it doesn't mean that it's true. We can't rely on gut feelings, we can't trust our own thoughts, and we can't make sound decisions based on our current emotional state. Our hearts will betray us, it will lie to us, it will cause us to react instead of act, and we have to allow ourselves to be lined up with, the faith, with our faith. We have to rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. A lot of Christians... A lot of Christ followers typically wonder, is it a sin to be anxious? Is it a sin to struggle with anxiety? Is it a sin to struggle with with depression? If I have anxiety, does it mean that I've somehow failed God? Am I not living by faith if I struggle with anxiety? It can feel that way. We can feel so ashamed because we're dealing with this. So much so that we will come to, to church, we'll go out in public wherever it is, and we'll put on a happy face, and everything's fine. And we won't tell anybody about it. We won't let anybody, and we won't allow for any healing to take place. And then we get home, and we're all alone, and we're right back in that dark place that we really don't want to be in, but we've gotten so used to it. We don't want to let anybody in because we're ashamed 
of having to deal with anxiety? And the answer is no, no. Having anxiety, struggling with anxiety is not a sin. It's like anger. The Bible says to be, be angry, but don't, don't sin. We have anxiety, but don't sin. If we give it enough power in our lives, it will lead to sin. One of the biggest reasons that people are struggling with anxiety today Feeling anxious because you're lacking community. There's so many people that you're feeling unsettled. You're scared to death and you're, you're vulnerable to whatever the latest rumor or bad news is because you're lacking godly, encouraging, uplifting, spiritual building community from the body of Christ. Today, September 27th, launches our small group. We have so many different things to offer. Things that will help you in your spiritual journey. Things that will help you on a financial level. And I, I can tell you the, the Financial Peace University, I've, I've done it. It's amazing. It teaches you how to live, handle your money God's way. Things that will help you hone talents and skills that God has given you. We have all this to offer. So there's no reason why we should hide away and why we should separate ourselves from fellow believers. And I'm not saying it's not okay to be introverted. Like, it's definitely okay to be introverted if you want to. Like, I love being both. I love having my foot in both worlds. Like, I love being with people. I love being in a crowd. Well, I mean, you can't have a crowd nowadays. So if the government's listening, I didn't mean that. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, being, being around people, talking to people. Um. But also like being introverted. I like having my alone time. Just me, nobody else around, just me. And I love having moments of intentional laziness. You, know, you work hard all throughout the week and you plan to be lazy. It's, it's really great. If you haven't done it, you should try it sometime. But we have to have community. You can't cut yourself off from the world and expect the problems that you're dealing with to just go away. If you look closely at the beginning of the word, the Bible, we see that God says it is not good for man to be alone. It's not good to be isolated. It's not good to be disconnected. And it's not good that people should be alone. Look at Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's the incarnation of God. He's Emmanuel, God with us, the power of with. So two things, if we're dealing with just crazy strung out emotions, if we're dealing with anxiety, if we're dealing with depression, to combat that when we don't have a support system accessible at that moment, as you speak to yourself, you remind your soul that God is good, you remind your heart, you speak to yourself the Scriptures, the promises of God, and you proclaim God's goodness in your life. And the second is community. Pastor Brian's been talking to us about it the past couple weeks. Better together. The best two words, because that's what we are. We are better together. 
Like I would be bold enough to say, hey, your problems are my problems. If you're struggling, let me know. I want to help. You just need somebody to sit beside you while you cry. Okay. I can muster up some tears. Brian can. I can. <laughs> but it's not something to be ashamed of. Please know that. It is not something to be ashamed of. And you may think, that, well, I'm the only person that has to deal with this. I'm the only person that is struggling with anxiety. That's not true. A lot more people struggle with it than you think. We can't overcome it in our own power. We need each other. We need each other. We need the body of Christ. We need community. I'll close with this. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another in love or stir up one another to, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, but encouraging one another. So, Father, I come to you this morning. You see everyone that's here. You see their hearts, God. You see everything that has happened in their lives. Things that maybe they thought had gone away, had dissipated, but they hadn't, been, they hadn't brought it to you. And maybe they haven't allowed actual healing to take place in their lives, and they're just keeping it hidden. And I ask, Lord, that you would just bring encouragement to your people. You would bring joy and peace into their lives, God. Remind them that your goodness knows no bounds, that your grace and your mercy knows no bounds. Lord, help us to be sensitive to those around us, to be there for one another, to love one another. Though times are crazy right now, God, we know that there's still times available. There's still moments ready and available for us to come together as the body of Christ. Give us your strength your courage to face everything that we go through. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.